TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. SoCal's Country Station, 95.1 K-Frog. I'm Pepper. This is Spirit of the IE. Our parent company, Odyssey, celebrates Earth Day by sending our employees out to participate in local environmental service projects that are making a positive impact on our communities and the planet. It's part of our One Day, One Thing initiative as we work to spread the message that if we all do one thing to help the environment, together millions of things, we can really make a difference for our planet. This year, the K-Frog family has chosen to work with Riverside Corona Resource Conservation District to help with their butterfly habitat project in Riverside. Here to tell us more is Diana Ruiz, Public Affairs Manager for RCRCD. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be able to share some information today with our locals here in the inland region. Diana, start by telling us, what is RCRCD? Sure. Riverside Corona Resource Conservation District. And we're just a local, small government agency. We're non-regulatory. We work with people on a cooperative basis. And our mission is to help conserve natural resources. And so we work with private landowners, businesses, groups, and even other government agencies. And we work to provide the treatment of each acre of land according to its needs specifically in regards to soil and water conservation, such as in erosion control and sediment prevention. And we work on projects that foster native plants and animals. Due to development, we need to take better care of the few remaining wildlife lands and open spaces that provide ecosystem services like cleaning our water and air, like decomposing waste so that nutrients are released and available for new plant growth. And today our goal is to determine the best site-specific management for each land use to sustain resources while minimizing the hazards to human health and environmental quality over the long term. And what areas do you serve? So we work in Western Riverside in San Bernardino counties, Greater Riverside area, Corona, Norco, Grand Terrace, Colton, Ritchie Canyon, Timiskel Canyon, Gavilan Hills, High Grove, Woodcrest, all those areas. Our northeast border is the Santa Ana River, and we run from the San Bernardino County line all the way down to the Orange County line. And tell us about some of the services you offer. So we uh, provide resource management assistance, and that includes habitat conservation, technical assistance, and education programs. So with habitat conservation, we actually do own properties. We go in and restore them and maintain them for 
high quality wildlife and plant life, our native plants and animals. Then we hold conservation easements where we help private landowners or agencies manage their habitat lands. And then we have an in fee program for land developers to help them mitigate for that loss of habitat. With technical assistance, we provide irrigation system evaluations and like home soil testing. You can, for a low cost, bring your soils to our lab and be tested. And then we have educational programs ranging from early childhood to seniors. We have two educational sites. One is in Riverside, the Land Use Learning Center at the base of Mount Rubidoux near downtown Riverside. And then we have the Sycamore Creek Interpretive Center, which is in Temescal Canyon. And that is a small nature center that's open on a limited basis. We also conduct stewardship projects like monarch habitat and tree plantings. We love to have a lot of volunteers and we have community science projects, including monarch milkweed monitoring. So we used to just talk to people about conserving their natural resources, meaning using them wisely, but now we move more to the term of sustainability. Mm. And that simply means using our resources in ways so they regenerate, they're abundant, and they last forever. So anyone who has perhaps hiked Mount Rubidoux has probably driven by the Land Use Learning Center in Riverside and maybe wondered what that is or what it's about. Can you tell us what information we'll find there? Sure. Well, it's a great educational tool for learning about sustainable land use for our three main land uses in Southern California, native habitats, urban areas and agriculture. And as I said before, we manage each land use differently according to the way it's being used. We demonstrate sustainable practices in each of those three land use areas. So in our native habitat area, for example, we have our local native plants and animals. We demonstrate some habitat restoration methods. We talk about watersheds, the importance of keeping stormwater runoff clean, and we promote wildlife corridors to connect large blocks of habitat so that wildlife can continue to have spaces to roam and not interbreed. So in our native habitat area, we have four locally important plant communities and the local wildlife that rely upon them for food, shelter, and nesting sites. We highlight coastal sage scrub, chaparral, oak woodlands, and riparian, which simply means along a waterway. Now, in our urban area, we demonstrate four different styles of water-wise backyards and an arbor trail to learn about urban forestry and trees that you can plant for our local environment. So some of the other things that we demonstrate are how to capture runoff water, to increase percolation into our underground water basins, to replenish our water supplies, and we demonstrate lawn alternatives for saving water and creating habitat for urban adapted wildlife. In our third agricultural area, it's the sustainable agriculture area where we demonstrate soil health and water conservation and wildlife habitat for farming. We show things like composting, mulching, low volume irrigation, and hedgerows that harbor beneficial insects in the agricultural part of the Land Use Learning Center. But everybody can help by supporting local growers, purchasing local foods, which not only helps the local economy, but also reduces the 
transportation required to get food to the table, and the related pollutants that come with those transportation costs. Now, this land use learning center is open to the public. When is a good time to visit? Right. Well, we're open seven days a week. During the weekends, we have tour guides available, and if students are interested in coming or classes we provide field trips by arrangement seven days a week on the first saturday of every month we have presentations about natural resources by specialists including master gardeners california rare fruit growers the california native plant society the inland urban forest council and other experts in the natural resource field so what are some easy ways that homeowners can make their living spaces more sustainable Well, of course, there's the regular inside things, reduce, reuse, and recycle. Simple things like, well, you already know them, turning off water and electricity when you're not using it. In my house, we have two trash cans in each room, one for recycling and one for the trash. So it makes it easy when we take it out to the curb. But what we really demonstrate at our facility is what to do on the outside of your home. And there are ideas for everyone, even apartment dwellers, who can garden in pots, creating habitat, or growing their own food. But outside, we have water-wise landscaping. We teach people about creating habitat in yards by growing native plants and a variety that flower and seed all year long, providing a water source for wildlife, and planting the right tree for the right place and keeping trees watered during the summer and during drought. And what are some easy ways to lessen our impacts on the environment? Oh my gosh, there's a million ways we can do a good job to lessen our impacts. Never throw trash or oil down the storm drain, number one, because wherever you live, you live in a watershed and you're upstream from someone. It pollutes water and fills wildlife habitat with trash and debris. We can learn about proper tree care and pruning, For one, we never need to top a tree or prune more than 25% off at a time. I always suggest that people use a trained arborist, and you can verify their credentials by selecting the Find an Arborist tab at the Trees Are Good website. You can also go to the Inland Urban Forest Council website. They have publications there on proper tree pruning. Because if you don't prune a tree properly, you're opening it up to disease and insects and pests. And that can be the demise of a mature tree. And we need these trees for the shade that they provide, reducing the heat island in our urban areas. Of course, as I mentioned, we can support local farmers. We can find food and agricultural resources in the Fresh and Local Guide It's online at the riversidefoods.org website. That's for the Riverside Food Systems Alliance. And if you live adjacent to Habitat, we have a publication called Living on the Edge of the Urban Wildlands Interface. It talks about reducing human impacts on wildlife neighbors and creating defensible space for wildfire safety. You can find online tools to help plan your landscape like Calscape and Tree Select. And I suggest people learn about the environment. You can visit the Environmental Education Collaborative's website to find environmental and agricultural educational sites. They have an interactive map at enviroedcollaborative.com. It's also called EEC. It's called the Environmental Learning Resources Guide. I'm speaking with Diana Ruiz, Public Affairs Manager for the Riverside Corona Resource Conservation District. Each year, as part of our One Day, One Thing initiative, our parent company, Odyssey, asks each of its markets around the country 
to choose an environmental service project to do on Earth Day, which is coming up this Friday. And when I learned that monarch butterflies are now endangered, I really wanted to do a project that involved saving the butterflies. And that is what led me to RCRCD. Can you tell us about the plight of the monarch butterfly? Sure. Wow. Well, here in California, we're dealing with the western monarch butterfly, and it's an amazing creature that makes a spectacular annual migration of up to 1,500 miles inland, and then it returns before winter to forested groves along the coast of California where the climate is milder, fewer temperature extremes. It gets. It doesn't get as cold or as hot as it would inland and in deserts, for example. So each spring, the butterflies come out of their sleep and they fan out across the west to lay their eggs on milkweed and drink nectar from flowers. So monarchs conserve energy during flight by soaring in updrafts of warm air called thermals. Once at the top of the thermals, they just glide to their destination and they run about 25 to 35 miles inland a day or depending on what direction they're going, which is pretty impressive for an insect that's the weight of a paper clip. <laughs> Around 2020, the Western monarch butterfly population was drastically declining, and it reached its lowest level ever recorded, less than 1% of historic populations. So there are a lot of reasons for this really shocking decline. And one of them, the major one, of course, is loss of habitat <laughs> in Southern California, especially. And in that habitat, native milkweed used to grow. So milkweed is the only food source for the monarch caterpillar. And harmful land management and conversion to agricultural and urban uses have destroyed much of that natural habitat and supply of milkweed. Another problem is pesticide exposure. Monarchs are weakened and killed unintentionally by toxic weed killers, fungicides, and insect killers. And then, of course, drought and climate changes. We've noticed a lot of that lately. They impact milkweed growth and the habitat availability. And of course, disease also impacts butterflies. And in this case, I'll talk about that a little bit later. And then the coastal habitat loss, because during the winter when they're overwintering at their coastal homelands, they had a lot of overwintering sites there, but during development and as progress has continued, many of those are lost or degraded and leaving very few for the monarchs to have as overwintering sites. So the milkweed that is important for us to use here locally is our native milkweed. It's The scientific name for it is Asclepius, the, the genus, and it's essential for the life cycle of the monarch. Tell us about the life cycle of a monarch butterfly. How long do they live on average? Well, they have four distinct stages. Number one, for about three to five days, they're an egg. Then for a couple of weeks, that egg opens and it becomes a tiny caterpillar. And for, for those two weeks, it grows into a massive caterpillar. And during that time, it grows 2,000% of its size that it starts with as an egg. It relies on the milkweed plant for that, for its survival. And then after the caterpillar matures, it turns into a closed chrysalis. For two weeks, it hangs in its chrysalis state, and then it emerges as the adult butterfly, which at that time, it eats energy-rich nectar from flowers, and it gets protein from the pollen. So it not only needs the milkweed, but it also needs nectar from, from native flowering plants as well. 
So one generation takes 40 to 64 days, and it's that's dependent upon the temperature changes. And it takes five different generations to move inland, roughly, before it's time to return to the milder overwintering sites at the coast. So during this migration period, the butterflies don't even necessarily live for that entire migration. How is it that they know where to go? <laughs> well, that is the great <laughs> secret. <laughs> because that's something that we're trying to still learn about. And that's a way that community scientists can actually help us learn about that. So I can tell you that after dormancy during the winter, monarchs begin to reproduce and then go through those several stages or generations inland. The last generation that's born in the fall lives eight times longer and migrates back to the coast. Now, what is RCRCD doing to help the plight of the monarch butterfly? Yes, well, during 2019, RCRCD began working on a national project called the Mayor's Monarch Challenge. It's a project of the National Wildlife Federation. We started raising awareness about the monarch and got Riverside's mayor involved. We conducted a pollinator festival hosted a native plant sale with the local chapter of the California Native Plant Society. We planted a two-acre habitat at Ryan Bonamino Park in Riverside with interpretive signs about monarchs. And the project has continued with our current mayor, who has since developed a pollinator garden at City Hall. We also received an important grant from the Wildlife Conservation Board through the California Association of RCDs that funded the development of signs for five demonstration gardens, the propagation of native milkweed at our nursery, and the development of a two-acre monarch habitat with milkweed and flowering native plants that provide nectar for the adult stage butterfly at our Greenbelt facility, which is in the Riverside Agricultural Greenbelt area. And it is that Greenbelt area that we will be volunteering at this Friday for Earth Day for our One Day, One Thing project. What should our employees expect at that event? Yes. Well, we're so thrilled to be having your employees come to help. We need all kinds of volunteers. So at this time of year, we're going to be doing a lot of hand weeding because we can't use pesticides around our important monarchs. And we will be also later in the season, maybe we will be doing some when you come, we'll be monitoring with getting down on the ground with magnifying glasses, looking for those eggs, counting caterpillars and counting butterflies. And all of that data goes into the monarch milkweed mapper. So you're really providing a very important service for us. And we couldn't do it without the help of volunteers. So we really appreciate that you're coming. We are looking forward to being there. What can individuals do at home to help the monarchs? Great question. So simple. Plant our native milkweed to provide the necessary food source. Remember that our native milkweed will go dormant in winter. So don't pull it out. Don't plant it near roads. And you can go to the Xerces Society Milkweed Finder tool to determine which milkweeds are native to your area. Around here in Riverside, we grow the narrowleaf milkweed. Scientific name is Asclepius fascicularis. And we grow the woolly pod and the California milkweed. If you're looking to make sure you get the correct milkweed, it's always helpful to use the scientific name. So remember to not use pesticides, herbicides, or fungicides. They are toxic to insects, and they're harmful to our beneficial insects that predate on pests and that pollinate. 
So you can look for pollinator-safe labels on these plants in nurseries. Plant native flowering plants that provide nectar for the adult butterflies. And I also would like to tell people there's a new law that precludes the rearing of monarchs by people in cages. It used to be common for people to try and help monarchs by taking them in their chrysalis stage and putting them in a cage until they emerge and then releasing them. But scientists are very concerned now that if the chrysalis stage doesn't get the right amount of sunlight and darkness that impacts their development. And so there's a new law that doesn't allow people to do that anymore. A lot of times kids learned in schools and classrooms, teachers would bring the chrysalis in and demonstrate for the kids the emerging butterfly. Mm. But that is no longer allowed because it's been so diminished in its population numbers. Why is it important to plant native milkweed as opposed to non-native milkweed? What's the difference? Well, many nurseries sell the non-native tropical milkweed which doesn't die back during winter like our native does. And at this time, it's believed that during the winter, the tropical milkweed can uh, provide a refuge for a disease. It's actually a protozoan parasite called Ophorocystis electrochera, or what we call it is OE. OE can interfere with the reproduction and weaken and often kill monarchs. So we're learning more and more all the time, but at this time it's believed that the tropical milkweed is doing more harm than good is what many scientists believe. And so we're encouraging people to either remove it or keep it cut back. We have a, a rule of thumb from Halloween to Valentine's Day, cut it back to six inches, and you'd have to cut it back several times during that period of growth. And there's a way you can tell the difference. And it's by looking at the flowers. Yellow or red, diseases spread. Pink or white, monarchs are all right. So our native milkweed has pink and white flowers. And if you have a milkweed that is yellow or red flowered, then it's probably the tropical variety and it needs to be controlled or removed. So what if someone like me who had very good intentions planted non-native milkweed? What do we do there? Oh, simple. I mean, we all have good intentions and we're all trying to do the best we can for the monarch. But as time goes on, we're learning more and more. And it is debatable. There are some people that feel that the tropical milkweed is really helping. So um, as I said before, just cut it back to six inches between Halloween and Valentine's Day. Keep it small. And then it's a very prolific plant and it goes to seed and it will spread in your yard. So um, you may have more and more plants you have to control as time goes on. And that's six inches from the bottom up or right. six inches from the branches? From the soil up, six inches up. And why should we avoid pesticides? Well, it's always important to read the labels on everything because some things are more toxic than others, of course. So uh, pesticides are designed to kill insects, right? But not only do they kill the pests, but they also kill our important beneficial insects, those insects that predate on pest insects and so they keep the pest populations down for us and then of course they impact our pollinators and we can't have food without pollinators so it's essential that we always use the least toxic alternatives that we possibly can in our yards especially when the monarchs are around during the spring all the way through late fall. 
I've been speaking with Diana Ruiz, Public Affairs Manager for Riverside Corona Resource Conservation District. Is there anything else we can do to help protect the monarch butterfly? Yes. Nowadays, more and more nurseries are labeling the the milkweed that they're selling with the label pollinators safe. And that means that it's come from a nursery that has not used a lot of pesticides and fungicides. So that's something to look for. Also, as we said before, you can volunteer as your K-Frog group is doing to help maintain our monarch habitat because we can't spray toxic herbicides around them. You can help with the butterfly research through community science projects, and we provide training to volunteers to collect data for the Western Monarch Milkweed Mapper, or you can on your own document it. There's a fun site called the Western Monarch Mystery Challenge, and that's simply you take a picture of the monarch you cite and place it up on iNaturalist, or if you don't want to do that, you can also email it to monarchmystery at wsu.edu. So we would love for you to come during the springtime to our beautiful garden. We have animal and plant treasure hunts for kids. It's free, of course. We're at the base of Mount Rubido by downtown Riverside, and you will see a demonstration pollinator garden on May 6th. We have a speaker coming to speak about permaculture, and we have a lot of publications on our website. That's rcrcd.com. Dot org. Check out Steps for Success with Milkweed and Monarchs for the Inland Southern California region. Check out Plan Your Pollinator Paradise. And there are other websites that are very important, other organizations. One is Pollinator Partnership, monarchwatch.org, the Monarch Joint Venture, and go to the Xerces Society for Invertebrate Conservation to find your native milkweed and where there's a nursery where you can actually buy that milkweed. So I just really would like to thank you for giving us the opportunity to highlight the plight of the monarch and teach people about some of the things that they can do to reduce their impacts and to help the monarch butterfly. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. The K-Frog family is very much looking forward to seeing you on Friday as we help with some weeding at the Monarch Habitat. Again, I've been speaking with Diana Ruiz, Public Affairs Manager for Riverside Corona Resource Conservation District. We'll see you Friday. Thank you so much. We're really looking forward to seeing you. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.